Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This week on Truth and Movies, it's double or nothing for Jordan Peele in his follow-up to Get Out, the doppelganger horror Us. So if y'all want to get crazy, we can get crazy. Skater boys become skater men in Bing Liu's Oscar-nominated documentary, Minding the Gap. Skateboarding is more of a family than my thing. And for Film Club, we're off to Bodega Bay for Alfred Hitchcock's suspenseful avian apocalypse classic, The Birds. I think you're the cause of all this. I think you're evil! All coming up in Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. Hello everyone, it's Michael Leader here in the host chair, sitting across from Hello. Sophie Monks-Kaufman. Hi, how are you? Uh, Manuela Lazic. Hello. Welcome both. How are we doing today? Not bad, yeah. Pretty excited. It's a pretty good roast of movies. Yeah. And what have you two been up to recently? We have the new issue of Little White Lies on stands. Indeed. Do you have pieces in both? Sophie, you have one of the lead interviews. Well, I have the lead review, mm-hmm. Claire Denise, oh, right. mysterious object, high life. Mm-hmm. Um I had to watch the film three times before I was in any position to pass any comment on it. So it's quite an ambiguity fueled piece that I'm quite proud of in the end because oh. one of the chief charms of the film and in fact all of Denise's work is that it eludes basic didactic storytelling and it's all about ambience. And, mm-hmm. oh, so yeah, I mean, if you're going to read anything by me, if you don't hate me, <laughs> please read this review. Yeah, uh-huh. and we also both in the section in the magazine about the senses in Claire Denis' work, uh-huh. because as you say, it's not about just a story; it's about a feeling, and she's really good at filming sensations. So, did you have a specific sense to explore? Yeah, I wrote about taste, Sophie. I wrote about sound, and I interviewed Stuart, who in the band Tinder Sticks is her regular uh-huh. musical collaborator uh-huh. and has been for the last twenty-three years, uh-huh. and he was a very insightful gent. <laughs> Fantastic. So that's on shelves now, the new issue of The White Lies, the mm. High Life special. And it's one of the most beautiful issues, I think. The mm. design work in it is astounding. Mm. I, I was really, really proud to be in there a with all my friends. The, a feast for the senses. Mm. Oh, indeed. Indeed, as well as for the mind. <laughs> anyway, let's get on with this week's films. First up, we have Us. Writer-director Jordan Peele follows his Oscar-winning Get Out with this chilling horror starring Lupita Nyong'o and Winston Duke in which a family's serene beach holiday is interrupted by a group of horrifying doppelgangers who show up on their doorstep. Okay, let's call the cops. I did. They're 14 minutes away. What? 14 minutes? Okay, 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 okay. Okay, okay. 
Jason, give me the bat. What bat? The baseball bat, the bat. There's one in the corner. Here, here. Thank you. Gabe. All right, hold on. I got this. Let's try this again. Gabe. No, 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 no. All right. Gabe. I got this. I got this. Now, I thought I already done told y'all to get off my property, okay? So if y'all want to get crazy, we can get crazy. Now, the cops are already on their way. Hey, 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 hey! Winston Duke there, getting crazy in Us. You know, I, I only I recognised him from Black Panther last year. That was his first feature film role. Oh, my yeah. God. Wow. Well, he's a very good presence. I mean, a great follow-up in yeah. this. Of course, this is a follow-up to Jordan Peele's directorial debut, Get Out, a couple of years ago. Manuela, were you in the pocket for this? Do you like Get Out? Were you looking forward to Us? I love Get Out. I was really, really into Get Out, like most people of right mind. Um, <laughs> but unfortunately, I wasn't really with us. You're against us. Uh, well, <laughs> yeah, if I'm not with you, I'm against you, I guess. But um, and was that from the very yeah. beginning? It had a very strong marketing look with the poster. Trailers oh no, I was really, so I was really willing to like it. Mm-hmm. I was very into the idea of doppelgangers, having mm-hmm. a twin sister myself. And uh-huh. I know how horrible that is. <laughs> Kidding. I was really into it, and I've, I have to say, I was into it for the first bit, which is the clip you played, pretty mm-hmm. much like, and some more. I was really into it. I loved the way Peel sets up the atmosphere I think he has such a good eye for he knows how to create tension in a way that's quite unique like it's not like your typical horror movie tension it's mm-hmm. pretty lived in mm-hmm. like the people are real people they are real characters they have real life and it doesn't feel like oh yeah this one is gonna die first or whatever you never have a sense of expectation like that you're just watching and that's why it's really scary because mm-hmm. it's unusual but I have to say, and I don't want to spoil this movie because I think it really benefits from being walked into without knowing. Mm. But I just, yeah, it didn't really work for me. It didn't really gel uh-huh. into a profound, meaningful thing. In a way that maybe Get Out did. Get Out is mm-hmm. so air- airtight for mm-hmm. me. Like, and, I, and I'm not saying PL has to do that every time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely not. And I was, you know, I was absolutely open to whatever this one was going to be. But I just think... There's there are so many hints in the film of like a sort of calculated meaning, mm-hmm. but ultimately, I don't think we get that meaning. Mm-hmm. I think it's quite muddled and quite vague. It's not like the sort of vagueness that leaves you open to interpretation in a good way. It just feels like a missed connection. It's interesting him following Get Out, which was almost this perfect storm of it was an entertaining film, it was funny, mm. it was scary, it spoke to yeah. you know, a huge social commentary themes. Mm. And uh, a genre. Like it in a fits genre, in so yeah. many you're right. Like and I think another thing about Get Out was that the comedy was always happening at the right moment and it it, it didn't distract from the horror. Mm-hmm. On the contrary. Like it was really dark comedy because you were laughing at the moment when things were horrible. Mm-hmm. Whereas here, I feel like the comedy is so... It's kind of like an add-on. Mm-hmm. And I think Winston Duke is amazing. And, and it's not its not a fault of the performers. It's just, I think, in terms of writing, it's a bit distracting. Whereas in Get Out, it felt more coming together. Because the irony of Get Out was like, nah, you, you wouldn't believe that this could be true. 
there couldn't be such a thing in a house owned by white people. That's ridiculous. Whereas here, it's more like just dad jokes, <laughs> like, which is, you know, they're very funny on their own, but I don't think it adds up to really well-made, consistent, evocative film. Uh-huh. Sophie, wh- where do you land on us? Um, so I'm quite mixed in it, mm-hmm. um, but I'm going to verge towards my more positive thoughts for balance. Yeah. If you like. Yes. I think it's a difficult second album thing and I don't think he's trying to do what he did with Get Out and mm-hmm. I think it's a good thing that he can in his second feature explore an entirely different side of his filmmaking urges they are both horrors but whereas as Manu said Get Out is like razor focused on satire and this is a much broader affair mm-hmm. it's almost a homage like it's a film that's full of easter eggs mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. the little kid wears a Jaws t-shirt mm-hmm. and in a way it's kind of a bit like Jaws because in this film there's something dark lurking beneath the surface. And it's full of these little references. And for me, I too preferred Get Out because of my taste for like these kind of very mm. everything geared towards this one precise point. However, this is incredibly well made. Yeah, um, definitely. Like this incredible polish, this incredible finesse, this incredible ability using sound design and like just surprise shots to suddenly make you jump. So it's very well crafted. And although not all the sequences landed for me and I didn't take one overarching point, I do think there's stuff in there that maybe I've missed. I do think it's a sort of film that will invite lots of reads. And it's a baggier affair than Get Out. You know, it's two hours. I think Get Out was probably around 90, or at least it felt like that. Mm -hmm. So it's just a very different type of a beast. I think Jordan Peele has said that he's never really seen a horror film where the family fighting for their lives are people of Mm colour. So maybe this film is him just trying to fill a gap in cinema history. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it feels like there are a few things at play here. Not just that, but this is him scratching this Twilight Zone type itch. Mm -hmm. It very much is based on that one sentence premise of what if there was someone out there that was your doppelganger who would maybe want to come and kill you. And of course, he's now going to go and be the showrunner on the new Twilight Zone TV series where he'll be doing that every Which every episode. Which is a very exciting proposition. Yeah, and I think I'd be very excited about this being a, a single hour-long episode in, a, in an mm. anthology series. Maybe it's a two-hour-long film less so because where it goes it reminded me a little bit of Sorry to Bother You where the initial premise is so strong the first 45 minutes of this film which is covered in the trailer is tense, atmospheric, funny full of great characters and performances we can get to that in a second but as it becomes bigger in scope and theme and ambition maybe more diffuse bringing in all these other easter eggs and aspects Mm -hmm. it becomes something of diminishing returns for me but let's talk about the performances. We heard Winston Duke there, who I think does a great job as a nerdy dad trying to mm. play the, the hero in that scene. But Lupita Nyongo is the focus, right? Mm. Playing a dual role as both Adelaide and then her shadow. Yeah. If there was a award for most terrifying voice, she yes. would receive it in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. So one way she distinguishes between these two versions of herself is this voice that I think the direction was like someone who's just not spoken for a very long while, it's this like... Mm. Yeah, for, for me it was like, you know when you speak, you put air out. Mm. But because she's like this other, instead she aspires. So she talks like that. Yeah. Like, you know, she aspires when she talks. And yeah. I think it, it makes for a really... Like when when she first starts talking, like it's really scary. And that's not really a spoiler. Like there's mm. loads of it. Don't worry, you, you enjoy all of it. But I think she's incredible, and I think it's crazy that she's never been a lead before. 
I suppose not. Like, but then you can see in this where she is such a virtuosic performer, mm. physically in voice and so on. It, suddenly, all of these choices throughout her career. She was, of course, breakout star of Twelve Years a Slave, supporting actress, known uh, Oscar, and so on. Mm. But she's done voice roles, motion capture roles, superhero yeah. movies since. But it's because she is this full body performer exactly. that loves inhabiting these characters that yeah. are pushed to the extremes. Yeah. Right? She's got so much to offer, and I and I I'm glad that Peel found that and mm -hmm. didn't just use her but use her loads like mm -hmm. she's playing two people that are very different and I think she really yeah she's incredible but I gotta say I think the kids as well are really really amazing mm -hmm. even Alex as the son and Shahadi right Joseph as the daughter Zora like they really measure up to those two experienced adult actors and that's pretty astounding mm -hmm. And just to follow on from that, I think there is a bit more humour in this film than my esteemed colleague Manuela said, just because I think it's in these little facial expressions. Like, again, I don't think it's a spoiler to say it because most of the film occurs after the turret of premise is revealed. But like a kid will whack someone on the head with something with this kind of look on their face of, have I really got a deer? And I yeah, think there's yeah. lots of really like great minuscule mm -hmm. facial reactions that add to the comedy and feel like Peel's stamp of humour. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it reminds me a lot of in Get Out, like just the, the wide out, like what the hell are those white people doing? Like it was really very much like that. Yeah. And, I, and I do like that. I just think it doesn't quite gel with the horror elements as well. Mm -hmm. But like you said, I think it gets really quite diffused in a way that's really bold. And I don't have a problem with that, like having the the idea of like a crazy premise that's just weird and you don't really know what it means. That's fine. But I just think the film tries to put some meaning still in there, but doesn't really commit to them. Whereas like, for instance, we will talk about the birds later, but the birds is like, there's just a lot of birds. Like, what does it mean? It could mean a lot of things and we will talk about it and that's great. But it's really open to interpretation. Whereas here, I feel like it's more... Yeah, just kind of vague. I think he's playing. I really think. Like, mm. in interviews I've read about his decision-making, the doppelganger's weapon of choice, he was like, yeah, I just wanted to find something that was, uh, like, had some kind of iconic quality. Oh, so yeah, I almost yeah. think it was engineering, like, what is the type of horror film? Mm. What does he like in horror films? He's I'm gonna build his own codes. Yeah, yeah I'm going to yeah. build my own one. So I think it's as much about the aesthetic choices, the atmospheric choices, as any type of mm. deep, profound synthesis yeah. which is what we got in Get Out yeah. and I really think he's landed on almost a new iconography for a new monster there with the doppelganger that these red boiler mm. suits the the single like leather gloves almost golfing gloves Ooh. they've got and then yeah. these huge uh, ornate shears scissors mm. yeah. um, it's probably going to be the most memorable monster of the year I suppose mm. even if the Halloween horror movie doesn't costume. Mm, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> certainly the mask that the boy wears yeah. remind me a little bit of Slipknot oh um, I can see it now yeah. that you mention it yeah. sorry for, if that has ruined it preemptively for anyone out there but <laughs> Sophie you mentioned this all these themes that he's playing with or he suggests that is there a way without spoilers to talk about what he is grappling with the sense of us and them the the subterranean doppelgangers that are coming to roost and so on well if anything I think it's unspoilable because it's in the title it's mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. uh, and, and perhaps I think well. some issues people might have with it is it's too on the surface there's nothing to read into or it feels like that I'm open to the idea that I've missed stuff uh, mm -hmm. you know I am white and race is clearly a theme in here so I'm not sure that I'll have got everything that's in there but yeah like us and them the way that we try to protect our nice lives that this central family and the family that they're friends with 
they're in their summer homes, their lovely lush summer homes. Um, the doppelgangers, shall we just say, they've not come from such a pleasant, luxurious mm-hmm. situation. I mean, that's the obvious surface read mm-hmm. that's there mm-hmm. for anyone to see. I don't mm-hmm. think I've got anything yeah. better at well, this time. Yeah. Maybe something to ruminate on if we do rewatch it. But mm-hmm. let's put some scores on this, Manuela. So in anticipation, enjoyment in retrospect. Uh, anticipation, five for sure. Yeah. Enjoyment, I would say four, because it does really like carry you along. And it gets less, I enjoyed it less in the later act but I still enjoyed it and I was still really thrilled to be watching a director you know following up on something so amazing as Get Out and in retrospect I would say three mm-hmm. yeah Sophie four I knew it wasn't going to be Get Out because Get Out was the film that makes your name forever mm-hmm. so I didn't dare to expect a five so four four three mm-hmm for me, I loved Get Out, so there's definite five in anticipation, but then threes and threes. I think there is a fantastic opening act here mm. that shows off how talented a horror filmmaker he is, but also weaving in character pieces, comedy and so on. So well performed by the cast here, and especially Winston Duke, who I've only seen in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, mm. but Lupita Nyong'o, after so long, finally taking centre stage is a treat. But maybe, as it goes on, less nourishing than his previous film but I'm still going to tune in for The Twilight Zone when that comes on telly anyway that was us up next we're going to get out our skateboards for Minding the Gap Years in the Making This documentary from first-time feature filmmaker Bing Liu follows a trio of young men in Rockford, Illinois. They're initially brought together by a shared love of skateboarding, but as they grow into adulthood, new responsibilities and revelations contribute towards an intimate study of abuse, poverty and masculinity in 21st century America. I always felt like I didn't fit in with my family. My parents ran this very controlling house. I ran away a lot. Skateboarding is more of a family than my family. How did you get disciplined? I mean, well, they call it child abuse now, but... Life might be moving too fast. We have to fully grow up and it's gonna suck. When you're a kid, you just do, you just act. And then somewhere along the line, everyone loses that. I knew you had some huge weight on you. Skateboarding meant more to you. It was kind of a life or death thing. I remember hearing screaming coming from your room and it was like really, really unnerving. A clip from Minding the Gap there. So this has taken a while to come out. It was at Sundance last year, Sheffield Dockfest, beyond that. It feels it's been talked about so much. It was nominated for Best Documentary at the Oscars as well. Sophie, Minding the Gap's finally come here. How do we describe a film like this? Skateboarding documentary? I would just describe it as a must-see. Uh-huh. It spans so much more than any description of it could cover. And in fact, I was irritated because I pitched a piece around it to a major outlet and they said it was too niche. Hmm. And this film is not niche. It's basically a continuation 
I'm going to get into the nuts and bolts of what it's about, but thematically, it's really a continuation of the conversation our culture has been obsessed with the last two years about gender, toxic masculinity, all that stuff. If you are interested in the dynamics between men and women, if you're interested in the shaping effect of violence, if you're interested in how that cycle perpetuates itself, if you're interested in the psychological landscapes of victims and perpetrators, basically, if you're interested in anything to do with being alive and interacting with the opposite gender, then this is the film for you. That's what I think. Strong that, words. And how, that's Nothing. how I would describe it. <laughs> so, how, but how does it explore all these big films? Oh, big again, most films that would handle such heavy-hitting issues, they would really set out their stool as this is an issues movie, this is really serious. Instead, it starts... And it's like riding high on this like rapturous youthful euphoria as you see these like young skateboarders being filmed on glide cam at golden hour. And it's really euphoric and you really feel the freedom and possibility of youth. So it's about these three skaters. The filmmaker himself, Bing, is in there. His friends, Keir, and his friend, Zach. And he's just chronicling them and what skateboarding means to them and how it's escape. And then just very gradually you find out what that actually means what they're escaping from, what their lives are like. And just so naturally, with such intimacy, the scope of it just grows and grows and grows. And as you find out what these boys' home lives are like, and because the film covers so many years, you also see what type of men they become and how Mm -hmm. they end up treating women. So that's how it covers it, just like with this incredibly intimate, breezy access, but then also supplemented by interviews that have breathtakingly on point questions that like you would never really dare ask but Bing goes there with mm. his nearest and dearest mm. Manuela were you on board with this? Yeah 100% so I had been looking forward to this film for a long time and uh, many people told me it would be exactly my thing and it really is cause, mm. because of ex- everything you said Sophie I think it's as those men grow up it, you find out how they treat women but also how they've treated themselves really mm-hmm. which is you know related but it's really fascinating how this film kind of happens to you without you noticing because it is so subtle because it's it's really just hanging out with people and finding out things about them and it feels so personal but at the same time very respectful because Bing is you know he has his camera which I guess here is a way to have a sort of safe space but at the same time those men are very aware that this is to make a movie like when he asked them really tough questions but they also know that because it's about making a movie it's not about him judging them it's about him trying to find some truth in their experience and that's endlessly fascinating and that's why documentary is great and this film made me think a lot of uh, this movie The Work mm-hmm. which is about those men in uh, Folsom prison who do some group therapy because this is what this movie is for those skaters as well is is group therapy not group therapy it's more like one-on-one but with the device of a camera to which they can talk in a way that's quite open and it feels really delicate even though it draws comparisons between all of them and they have very different lives but they have that one thing in common which is skating and it's also fascinating how Bing manages to make you feel the thrill of skating because mm-hmm. he's skating with them with his camera. If you've ever done any sort of physical activity, anything like that, you sense, yes, like this is sensations. This is away from my head. Like this is out of my head. And when you're skating with them, you, you travel through your eyes. But mm-hmm. it's really it's really quite something. And mm-hmm. it's so not arrogant. Like it's mm-hmm. so not ambitious, but it does so much. It's very delicately put together. As you say, Sophie some issues or thematic movies may set up its stall straight up but it does start with skateboarding Mm. 
these sort of truisms that many of these boys are saying, like, oh, it's an escape, it's a, it's a family away from my family. They go to the local skateboard shop and that's the safe space, that's almost their home, away mm-hmm. from home. But then it starts to work on you and it's this sense of scope. I think that interviews seem to, to conflict, but he's shot it over a period of four or five years with these guys. You know, They come in and out of focus as they go through some incredible life changes, mm-hmm. having children, uh, moving out, moving on. And by the end, it has this tremendous weight. Mm. There's a central location, which is this mansion, this rickety old mansion that uh, at least one of the characters lives in with maybe six or seven others of the skating community. And Mm. you just see it go from this hub of activity, so many parties, so many experiences, to becoming dilapidated and abandoned because they can't afford to live there anymore. Mm. So it talks about class, talks about poverty, as well as masculinity, identity, and just growing up. Mm. One character, Keir, we see him go from being this this shy boy to finding a job, getting a car, growing up, and by the final montage sequence, which is set to a song by the Mountain Goats this year, which is a powerful song in its own right, mm-hmm. it's just a freight train of emotion yeah. at the end, isn't it? Yeah. And just to build on what you said about it also being about poverty and mentioning the central location within the film, well, the central location on a slightly broader terms is Rockford, Illinois, mm-hmm. this middle American Rust Belt town. And again, he doesn't do this in a like portentous, I am the voice of Rockford way, but he lets you know that this is a place where there's a lot of despair, there's a lot of domestic violence, there are not many jobs. And further reading on this film is this really great piece in the Paris Review by a writer who also grew up in Rockford, Illinois. And it's a great piece because he concedes that on the one hand, he's a little bit jealous that Mm. Bing got there before him. (laughs) But on the other hand, he's like, yeah, you you nailed the place, buddy. And he captures this melancholic feeling of, yeah, that's my home and I feel attached to it. But then seeing all the problems there. Mm. And that feeds into why the film, for me, is so great. It doesn't take any easy perspective on people who hurt other people, Mm. you know, without ever siding Mm -hmm. with violence and perpetrators of violence he manages to bring out this psychology and he lets them speak even though they may have done terrible things like Mm -hmm. so Zach is the one that it's really interesting because he's the most charismatic one He's very with his Hawaiian shirts yeah, on and his he's a awful moustache. Yeah, but it's great moustache. <laughs> he's a movie star. Like he's basically just literally gliding through life. Mm. But then, as the film goes on, you realize how much trouble he has, and and also what Bing does that's really good is that he doesn't just listen to Zach. He listens to his girlfriend, mm-hmm. with whom he has a child. And I have to say, I was worried at first that we would only hear from the guys, but her perspective is fascinating. Mm-hmm. She has such an interesting life because it is not her own like and that's such a common experience and the way the way she gets to say that herself instead of being saying that you know it's really beautiful to have a woman just admit that this is her life and that she's not happy with it and that being went there Mm. however sad however you know painful and even, even though he was friends with Zach he just did this and it's like you really get a full picture of the of the relationship between Zach and his girlfriend, and it's not a pretty picture, but it's a real picture, mm-hmm. and it's made of going back together, breaking up, very difficult moments, and we don't get such complex portraits of relationships like that. And 
everybody has something to learn from this because it's not just uh, it's not like a cautionary tale it's mm-hmm. not like oh be careful those cool guys actually they're bad no it's so many people are hurt and if you don't pay attention you will hurt other people because you are yourself mm-hmm. and that's like the lesson from this film really if there's one lesson and all these boys have been hurt in different ways and the way they go about dealing with it is how they are different it's a film that just by the minute seems to get more profound and complex yeah. but without over-egging in itself it's crazy it's, it's, it's a really fascinating minimum film minimum of eggs so yeah. few yet, eggs such an extraordinary omelette <laughs> Sophie. Well, that is fantastic. Let's put some scores on this because we can't top that comment. How many eggs? Uh, Five eggs, five (laughs) eggs, five eggs. (laughs) I agree, same, really. I'm going to say four, four, five. Mm. I noticed you've abandoned our new tradition very quickly. You didn't say eggs. (laughs) (laughs) Probably for the best. Let's leave the eggs and move on to Mm. the birds. Uh, Are we really leaving the eggs then? Uh, We are, yeah. Where do they come from? Which came first, the birds or the eggs? Exactly. Well, I think the birds came first back in 1963. <laughs> Up next, Film Club, Alfred Hitchcock, The Birds. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Released in 1963, Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds sees a coastal Californian town attacked by flocks, hosts, congregations and murders of all sorts of bloodthirsty birds. T.B. Hedren and Rod Taylor are fighting for survival as Hitch employs his trademark suspense to turn these feathered foes into some of cinema's most terrifying monsters. Why are they doing this? Why are they doing this? They said when you got here the whole thing started... Who are you? What are you? Where did you come from? I think you're the cause of all this. I think you're evil! Evil! 
sorry if we shredded your eardrums <laughs> there. A clip from the birds. We have one listener comment this week from James C. It's eerie, odd, and so beautiful to watch. This is some of the greatest Hitchcock set pieces. That schoolyard scene, the quiet row across the bay, mm. the visit to the neighbour's farm, the diner debates over ornithological facts, and so much more. The absence of music, except for the real electronic cawing and chirping of the birds, adds to the sense of anxiety. The reasons that many ask for in answer to why the attack, who knows, and does it really matter? Mm. Does it matter? How do we th- how do we think about the birds now? Uh, was this a first watch for you, Manuela? No, I had seen it before, mm-hmm. I think, but yeah. And then many times over the years in bits. Uh, yeah, I love it. I mean, yeah, exactly. It doesn't matter mm-hmm. what the birds are there for. I don't think it matters in itself, but I think basically they come there and they bring out so much in people. And they bring out something about privilege because this woman played by T.P. Hedron, Melanie Daniels, she can do what she wants, you know? She finds some guy in the bird shop and so then she follows him because she's got nothing else to do. That's privilege in action. And also, she's a liberated woman. So it's those two things competing. And then when the birds happen, all of this is coming into question. Oh, she's privileged. Oh, she's really sexually voracious. Is that good? Is that bad? And I think the film doesn't really tell you how to feel about her in the end. It doesn't tell you how to feel about these privileged people or, you know, what's happening to them. It just brings out all those Latin things mm-hmm. in a way that's completely berserk. Like, <laughs> why birds? <laughs> it could have been yeah. anything else. Like, uh, it feels maybe like a god thing. Biblical like plague apo- of yeah, birds, yes, Apocalyptic exactly. thing where people have to deal with mm-hmm. their nature. Well, why birds? One answer to that is it's from the source material, the Daphne du Maurier short story. Yes. Sophie, you, you're a fan Perfect. of this, right? That was going to be my segue. So my perspective on this conversation is as a Daphne du Maurier stan. So she wrote The Birds in 1952. And for my money, everything that's good about the Hitchcock version stems from her and everything that's bad about the movie stems from him. <laughs> so he's made this two-hour film out of this 30-page short story uh, and it's just a much purer, more concise and creepier execution of the idea. It's really distilled. There are no sexually voracious city women in there. It's set on a farm. It's a farmer called Nat, his wife and their two kids. And the prose is just so taut, so perfect, so loaded with the mystery without ever resolving the mystery. Mm. And it doesn't answer any questions. And for me, when I watched The Birds, I had watched it in the past, but I couldn't really remember it. Watching it this time, all I saw was the addition of these like slightly shrill psychodramas in the form of these very one-dimensional women like that poor school teacher (laughs) her role in the film is she once had a relationship with melanie daniel's love interest who is the man in the bird shop who she mitch Mitch. Uh, also mitch hitch come on he's the guy at the center of like women's interest vanity edition imo but there's a school teacher character and she still lives in bodega bay which is this nowheresville place where mitch lives just to be close to him even though they've broken up that's why she's there then you've got Mitch's mother, who's just like randomly hysterical because she's so attached to her son and she doesn't want any women to have him. So when I read this story by a woman who was very unconventional and very intriguing and Hitchcock actually adapted two additional of her stories, obviously Rebecca and then Jamaica Inn. So he used her three times and she was such an interesting person um, and she wrote such twisty, turny mystery 
taught stories. And I, all I see when I watch the Hitchcock version is just all the flab that's been added to the bones. Mm. Are you saying that Hitchcock saw the story and read it with a really perverse eye? Mm. Uh, I guess. That's weird. I know. He never does that. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I think like he brings his, yeah, his weird perversity and his weird... Um, Like, I can't decide if this film is really conservative or if it's really liberated because it does that thing of, like, bringing out all these things about sexually liberated woman, wealthy woman who still, you know, tries to, you know, she talks about giving soup to the poor or whatever. She fell in a fountain in Italy. It was such yeah. a scandal. And like, but it wasn't her fault, okay? Like, yeah. Sorry. And, um, and then there's also Mitch who's... You know, also this wealthy guy who spends all his weekends in Bodega Bay, although he lives in San Francisco. San Francisco. And he's a lawyer who defends black people. And he's really, he doesn't see a problem with that. His sister, the, the young, really annoying girl, mm -hmm. Kathy, is like, oh, yeah, well, you know, they're black people. And she's really racist, basically. She's like, <laughs> she's they're hoods. They're hoods. And then she says, <laughs> There's this amazing line when she talks about one of the men that uh, Mitch defended who shot his wife six times. And <laughs> Kathy, the little girl, is like, six times? I mean, twice would already have been overdoing it. Once would have been overdoing it. Like, you don't kill people, <laughs> crazy woman. So, yeah, I feel like the film is so indecisive about things, but it feels very much like a panic of the 60s movie. Like, oh my God, the world is changing modernity, women, work, you know, movies, mm. birds, <laughs> I don't know. So I think this is a really panicky movie. And watching it today, it feels a bit like, oh, don't worry, it'll be fine. But it's But fascinating. All of that melodramatic stuff is padding, isn't it? Mm. I feel that Hitchcock here, after Psycho, where it has that amazing first, second act twist where the protagonist is killed, he wants something similar with this film, so he makes nothing happen for about an hour. And instead you have all of this psychodrama, melodramatic stuff with characters you don't care about. And then suddenly, you know, a million birds come out of a fireplace. Many birds. Okay. I, I think that this has maybe 10 minutes of incredible sequences. Nearly all the stuff with the birds, when they go to the farm and see the guy with his eyes pecked out, that's an incredibly gory shot for 1963. Yeah. It's a little subliminal quick flash, but it's fantastic. The incredibly uh, <laughs> incredibly uh, off-kilter, you know, full-bore sequence where birds cause a petrol station to explode. Oh my God, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> to be on the way in here, so it's not that unusual. Like, God, are these vindictive birds? What do we have against oh, against cars? So funny. And then fantastic suspenseful sequences with the birds landing on the climbing frames in the school in the schoolyard, or mm. them tiptoeing through the birds at the end to get to the car. Fantastic, mm. but everything around it is really dull for me, and it comes off a fantastic run of Hitchcock films in the late 50s and right up to 1960 with Psycho. And this is the downward swing. I don't want to lay it at Tippi Hedren's feet because she's on record saying that. He abused her on sets mm. and very much abused his power over her as her being contracted to him as an actress. Mm. Following her around. And but Rod Taylor, yeah. after a run of Cary Grant and James Stewart and Anthony mm. Perkins leading men in, in Hitchcock movies, he is just a lump, right? Yeah, but maybe he's meant to be. So for, for me, this is just a film that has many reasons to be in the footnotes of Hitchcock history, controversy-wise or, or otherwise. So you have experimental flourishes, no score, which is an interesting choice. It's incredible. These proto-synthesizers that are used to create the, the chirping bird noises, mm -hmm. the, the horror of the bird sound. They brought in Disney to do visual effects shots of superimposing these birds and etc. It's not too bad for the time, I, I guess. I don't know. 
well, it's probably not aged well, but in the way yeah. that cutting-edge visual effects of the time never really age, yeah. age well. Mm. Um, I don't know. I feel like, to go back to Us as well, I think Us is very indebted to that film. Mm. Uh, a lot of Us takes place in a similar place, like near the water. There's a moment with also gas on the floor where if you drop up, something is going to explode. Mm-hmm. There's some birds around. Like <laughs> I feel like this film, just the birds has just been really influential. Yeah. In a, and in terms of like horror, iconic horror details. Mm-hmm. Also, it made me think a lot of uh, Night of the Living Dead, which comes later mm-hmm. with the idea of, uh, you know, when she goes back in the attic and all the birds are there. Or it made me think of sort of The Shining, when mm. the birds are attacking the door and they're literally piercing through it with their beaks. Yeah, yeah. And the sound they make, because I don't know how they did the sound design, but it really sounds like a chainsaw or like something like that. So it really made me think of so many horror films that came later, where Texas Chainsaw or The mm. Shining with the, you know, on mm. the door. All those things are so, <clears throat> so effective just as horror things. Mm-hmm. But then, yeah, I love how mean and pointless it is at the beginning because it is so like misleading mm-hmm. in a way that's really pleasurable. And that reminded me of Us as well, where at the beginning it's kind of normal and weird, mm-hmm. but normal, but still weird. Yeah. You know, it's it's very disquieting, yeah. but also it lulls you. Mm-hmm. Well, also, this is maybe not as superficial as it seems on first glance, but Jordan Peele with Get Out and Us and now going into Twilight Zone is positioning himself as he's got to take mm. on genre that he's going to present to you. Yeah. Apparently he is going to introduce the episodes of the Twilight Zone in the way that Alfred Hitchcock would introduce episodes of yeah. Alfred Hitchcock Presents. I wish Jordan Peele would just appear in every of his movies, just in like the way that Hitchcock walking does. his dogs. <laughs> so that is two minutes and 14 seconds into the movie where yeah. Hitchcock has his cameo. They, they get earlier and earlier by this really point. Strange. He but wants f- to make sure people don't leave the cinema without having seen him. Two minutes is yeah. probably the limit. Yeah, they're probably, okay, it's fine, they've seen it. <laughs> so, Sophie, you'd recommend short story over film. May I read you an extract from Daphne oh, du Maurier's gosh, short yeah. story? I just want to give you a sense of just the atmosphere of her writing. So this is after he's kind of won the fight with a few of the birds, and he's just got all these bird bodies, and she describes it so viscerally. He went up with a sack and dropped the stiff bodies into it one by one. Yes, there were 50 of them all told just the ordinary common birds of the hedgerow, nothing as large even as a thrush. It must have been fright that made them act the way they did, blue tits wrens. It was incredible to think of the power of their small beaks jabbing at his face and hands the night before. Wow. Oh, my God. Just FYI, that was published in 1952 by Victor Golantz in a collection called The Apple Tree, a short novel and several long stories. I did not expect to have a reading in this episode. <laughs> Sophie, thank you so much. Thank you Daphne de Maurier. Oh, well, yes, we should go and read you, that. You should do that more often, Sophie, I think. Nice voice. Anyway, that was b- The Birds. Let us know what you think if you did watch uh, or if you watched any of the other films we talked about this week. You can do so at, at Truth and Movies on Twitter, at Truth and Movies at TCOLand.com via email or on the comments section at LVLies.com slash podcast. Next week's films Tim Burton is remaking another Disney movie with Dumbo. We have the black metal biopic Lords of Chaos. And then for Film Club, an old film from Tim Burton from the mid-90s, Mars Attacks. Uh, Mars Attacks. <laughs> which actually came up um, in the Film Club chat for Deep Impact a few weeks ago. And, uh, I, you know, spoilers, but I love Mars Attacks. When Letters. doesn't Mars Attacks come up? I, well, mean, I mean, it should I, always come up. 
Thank you, Manuela. You're speaking my language. Let us know what you think of those films at the usual channels. Manuela, Sophie, thank you so much for joining me this week. Our pleasure. Thank you for hosting, Michael. Thank you so much. I've been Michael Leader, and as always, this has been a 7 Digital production. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.